Hi there, uh, Steve Arterburn here, filling in for Frank Sontag on the Frank Sontag Show. Glad to be with you. This is my uh, last day with you. Really enjoyed this week and all the great people at KKLA who've helped out and all the um, the people here in Indiana who have helped out. It's been great, and I appreciate all of them who pitched in. Now, I've been talking about what I'm about to talk about all uh, all these five days, and, and I've saved it for today because I wanted to get used to the audience. I wanted to get used to what I'm doing because this is a, a really, really tough topic to talk about. And it's it's one that in our ministry, New Life Ministry, it just keeps coming up over and over again. And so we're working on how do we help the best? What is the best way to help? And what I'm talking about is I want to talk about this whole issue of gender identity and gender confusion that has come up. Now, I I can tell you some things, but I'm I'm going to I'm going to play some clips from a lady, a young woman named Helena Kirshner. Helena has a uh, a Christian background. She doesn't identify herself as a Christian at this point. She she was uh, I think raised Catholic. Um but Helena is one of the brightest people that I've heard. She's 22 years old, and she was in the process of transitioning over to the male gender. She was taking uh, testosterone uh, to accomplish that. Now she would call herself a detransitioned woman, and at one point she identified herself as a trans man and was a staunch supporter of social justice. Now, she couldn't be on with us today. She, uh, We talked with her, and she's going to join us on New Life Live in the days to come when she gets back from her trip. But since detransitioning, she's been involved in raising the awareness for detransitioners and of detransitioners. And she's trying to build a supportive community for those that are detransitioning and also provide some help to folks who might be, um, well, you could call it kind of railroaded in, would be one way, or you could say that there is this social contagion that has, well, she says it's part of how she got into transitioning. It's a fascinating story, but every, every time I listen to her, I gain some kind of wisdom and insight into all of this. And you, you cannot, you cannot escape uh, this issue of transition. And then you can't escape ever hearing anything about detransitioning because the media doesn't want you to know just how many people are dissatisfied after they transition. There is a growing number of people. Helena says it is exploding. And... And it fits in with the philosophy I've had for a long time. And that is that no one thing ever solves everything. No one thing solves everything. And a lot of times people do these things or they get into the mode of transitioning, thinking that's going to solve everything. 
and it doesn't. It, it doesn't solve it. And many times you end up with something that's very uh, impo- either impossible to reverse or, or it feels like it's almost impossible to reverse and some of the stuff can't be. But, you know, the person that uh, calls herself uh, Caitlyn Jenner now was um, 65 years old there in California uh, when he officially came out 2015 as transgender did a famous uh, Vanity Fair magazine cover. And, um, well, 2016, there was this author, Ian Halperin, and he wrote a book called The Kardashian Dynasty, The Controversial Rise of America's Royal Family. And he reported that while he was researching his book, multiple sources told him that this former Olympian had been miserable for months after his transitioning, and um, he regretted it. Now, of course, he has had worldwide fame. He's making a lot of money and uh, doing a lot of things. He went on a $100,000 pyramid program, and they were talking about famous Olympians, and the first thing that uh, came out of his mouth was Bruce Jenner. And he was asking asked about Bruce Jenner, Caitlin, as he calls himself, and uh, he said, you know, good things about Bruce. That's really unusual because in that world, the trans community, the old name of the old person, if you use that, it's called dead naming. But um, just kind of feeding into this that there was some dissatisfaction there, it's hard for him to give up old Bruce. Now, if you listen... To Helena, she will tell you that the regret and the misery goes against all of the research that she has looked at. The research, one research project was done with people who were coming out of the sexual transition clinic. And they were asking them uh, how they felt about it. Was there any regret? And they said no. Well, they were still coming to the clinic. People that decide to detransition, they don't typically go back to that clinic because they're viewed as outcasts. And so one study was all done with older men. And what we're talking about here are people that essentially get caught up in this social contagion online and they fall into Uh, believing that they have so much in common with folks who are transgender that they're one of them and then they want to transition. What Helena discovered was that these communities had something in in common. The, The transgender community and the transition community had something in common with other groups of people, those that Uh, were cutting themselves, self-harm or anorexia and bulimia, uh, witchcraft, that they were playing on each other's misery, and in their misery they were isolated, but they had a bond of misery, and she got involved with that, and that's how she came to believe that she was a trans man. The other thing that she says, that she got involved in a relationship at, uh, at a very, very hurtful time in her life where she was 
totally, totally alienated from her mother. They weren't speaking at all. And then along comes uh, a person and they end up in a relationship. And it took her a while to realize this isn't what I'm attracted to. This isn't what I want. But let's start uh, by hearing from her. Uh, You'll hear her voice. Uh, Again, she's doesn't identify herself as a Christian. She she had a Christian background, uh, but she she does now identify herself as a straight person. But anybody saying that this is a fundamentalist Christian just beating that old fundamentalist Christian drum, you would be very mistaken. So let's uh, listen to this first clip of Helena. Over the summer right before my freshman year and then leading into that period where I wasn't at school, I started using Tumblr a lot. So I was spending a lot of time alone, a lot of time on my computer. I was really unhappy and I just felt really lonely and alone. So I started using Tumblr and at first it was just to look at stuff that I was interested in. So at the time I was just like little Christian girl. I really liked Uh, classic rock. I like the Beatles. I like Elvis. I was really into like old Hollywood movies and stuff. Like I was very time warped. But as I kind of started seeing what other interests people were having, like what books they were reading, what shows they were watching, I started branching out into some of that other stuff. Um, I really expanded what I was looking at. And that's when kind of the social justice stuff started coming into my worldview, my attention. And there's a lot of stuff saying like, oh, no, racism is still a huge issue. Racism is still like the biggest issue that America is facing. Um, Homophobia is the biggest issue. Transphobia is the biggest issue. And I kind of started feeling really guilty. Then I started seeing these other young girls on Tumblr who identified as non-binary, trans, what have you. And instead of seeing them as other and weird, I started being able to relate to what they were saying about their bodies and their lives and their mental health and how they were relating that to being trans. And I started making that connection personally for myself that I might be trans. Hmm. So you can see how the the bond, the affinity there with the group led to her conclusion that this must be me. And uh, we'll hear, I'll, I'll play two more clips from her. But one of the things that I want to set straight from the beginning is that transgender young people report experiencing a lot of bullying related to gender and sexual orientation. They experience uh, many times a lot of shaming from adults and other Christians. And so I want to be sure that we would approach this the same way that I think Jesus would approach this with love, compassion, understanding, and a curiosity that would be a compassionate curiosity and to try to, to know the person's heart, to know what hurts that they have dealt with, and to treat anybody struggling with anything with the love that Jesus has treated us with. And, you know, maybe this has never, ever been an issue uh, for a person. But certainly, uh, you could see how tough this would be. So any any kind of mistreatment by uh, someone their age or older is something that has to be avoided at all costs. But the lesson here 
uh, from this first clip is that there is a community online. And if you allow your kids to avail themselves to that community, well, it's very similar to other communities, uh, some even uh, psychologically pathological communities that feed on bonding with each other and answering that or giving that feeling of belonging that people want to have. And and that's why one of the reasons it's so hard for anybody to detransition is you don't want to leave the group. You want to stay a part of the group. One of the things that I talked about earlier in the week was what I call toxic tribal affinity. And that's where people quit looking at the truth and because you want to be part of the tribe. And this is where secular therapists and some secular uh, physicians and other healthcare providers are really doing a disservice to this world. They're not looking at the fact that a five-year-old is not in a place to decide that they ha- they need to be a different gender. And in some places, that child goes to school, maybe eight, nine years old, and tells the the teacher, my parents don't want to call me by my uh, the name that I've chosen. The teacher will. And they don't want to honor my desire to transition. And before you know it, Child Protective Services can be called. And it's a horrible situation for parents. And every time we get this, this comes up at New Life, of course, our message is always, First and foremost, we must love these kids. We must express love in every way possible. There is nothing that's going to be helpful other than love. Now, having said that, you know, gender, gender identity is more or less confusing to people growing up, different forms. You know, when I was growing up, I... Um, I had two gay brothers, two gay brothers, and uh, both had been molested by the pastor of our church when they were five. By the time I was five, we had moved, so I, I wasn't victimized by him. But having two gay brothers, you you spend a little more than five minutes thinking about this whole issue. And I come from a place having watched what's happened with them and in their lives, my middle brother died from AIDS in the early 80s when it was uh, very difficult to survive. But I come out of that with the same theology that I went into it. And I have tremendous love and compassion for my uh, brother that is alive today that is homosexual. Now, I told uh, a secular therapist the other day, I said, you know, I'm a Christian, and she was not, and I absolutely uh, believe that a a person living with another person, they're gay, same sex, that that isn't God's best, that there's something better, that that isn't the way God intended us to be. I really believe that he created us male and female, and I have tremendous compassion, I said, over 
those young children who, for whatever reason, are convinced that they need to be the other gender, or they are so struggling from two years old, three years old. I have a friend who, whose daughter seemed like from age two, everything in her, everything she desired, it would, it would be typical of the stereotypical young boy. And uh, she was fascinated with guns and knives and aggressive and all those kinds of things. And, and I understand how difficult that can be. And so we need to develop a greater understanding and help and assistance in those cases. But one of the things that Helena talks about that she's trying to get people to see is that people are being railroaded into believing they're transgender and then also railroaded into thinking that the answer is transitioning. One of the um, interviews that I saw with her and another detransitioned female, she said, I begged my parents to let me start taking testosterone between the ages of 16 and 17. And they allowed me to do that. She said, if I had gone to college, I really do believe that I, I never would have tried to transition, that I would have outgrown the confusion and all. And confusion is not the same as gender dysphoria. Confusion is a normal thing. I remember uh, telling Solomon my own situation where, you know, one day want to want to do girl things another day it's more boy things at age 10 it was confusing but as uh, i've said before the secular research shows that if people are left alone only about 27% of those with gender identity confusion don't figure it out by the age of 18 only 27% it might even be less than that, because these studies many times are very, very flawed. So there are a lot of complicated, difficult things to understand. But I know this, a five-year-old brain is not in a position to decide that they need to be transitioned into another gender. And if we can many times help people become comfortable with the body that they have when they have uh, body dysphoria. If we can help them understand the complications and the discomfort that a lot of people have, normal people have, with the, the gender and, and what they're experiencing in that gender, if we can help someone see that, and we can also help them see things that Helena has been through where she was taking testosterone for 17 months before she woke up and saw that the blog posts of the transitioning community was very similar to the eating disorder blog post. And she felt like she had literally been lured in and then she woke up and she decided this is not who I am. Well, of course, that community, uh, they didn't want to have anything to do with it. You know, they, they say that uh, 
well, you know, you, everybody has a choice and they need to be free to choose whatever they want to choose. But in this case, they sure didn't think she should choose to detransition or that she should choose to not be part of the group anymore. I think we have to understand this the best we can. I think we have to approach it with love and understanding. And that's what we're going to try to do here is provide a little bit deeper understanding of the whole issue before we're finished here today. Uh, I've got another clip I'll play after the break of Helena. And, um, and then we'll talk about what this choice issue is and what do people mean when they are talking about gender. I know when I talk about gender, I'm talking about a biological phenomena known as male or female. But many people that are talking about gender are just simply talking about a feeling or a, a present state, and it has nothing to do with biology. And so we'll try to provide some clarity here. This is one of the topics, by the way, that New Life is doing in their parenting seminar on October the 2nd. You can find out about that at kkla.com forward slash new life. We'll be back after this. Steve Arderburn here. We're talking about transgender and detransitioning. Tough, tough issues. I think it's important that we talk about it because, well, some of you have had the experience of a child coming home and saying, hey, um, my friend Liam isn't a boy anymore. He wants to be called a she and, and wants to be referred to as Lisa. And everybody at school is supposed to follow along so that Lisa won't feel bad. And so then what do you say? You need to know what to say. And, of course, the the worst thing you could say is, well, she's bad or horrible or whatever. Her parents are horrible. But I'm telling you, this this is an opportunity for us to help our kids to see that not everybody is making a good choice. Not everybody is making a wise choice that there are choices that we think are going to deliver things for us and then they don't deliver the things that we thought and to provide compassion and love and understanding and to getting to know what is at the heart of this versus doing anything that that would hurt the feelings of that person. That We need to be the ones, the Christians need to be the ones that are overly compassionate, loving, and concerned, that's the way we win. But it's not easy. You know, uh, one of the Disney characters uh, that you might know of is Loki. And um, Loki meets a female variant of himself. Lady Loki goes by the same name, um, or by the name of Sylvie. And uh, it is a time-busting, gender-bending show and uh, also meets an alligator version of himself. But the truth is, and Marvel admitted it, that Loki was written as a gender-fluid character 
in Marvel Comics. And in 2014, the Marvel comic called Loki, Agent of Asgard, Odin, the dad, refers to Loki as my son and my daughter and my child, who is both, and, uh, and this is to indicate that he is not of one particular gender. So that's, that's a message. That's, that's a Disney production. We have to wonder, oh my goodness, what would old Walt think? I don't think he would be happy one bit. Well, I think one of the wisest voices, as I've said, is Helena Kirshner, and I want you to hear another clip. I want you to get her insight on what a parent can do and needs to do when this becomes uh, a reality in your home. So let's play this second clip by Helena. If you're just staying on this surface level, arguing over testosterone, telling her, no, it's irreversible, you're, you're going to regret it. That's not addressing the problem. That is just reinforcing the child's belief that you're a transphobe, that you don't care, that you don't want mm. them to be happy. And whether or not they develop that belief through you know, actual tensions that exist in the family or because of the outside influence of the ideology, that doesn't matter. They still have that belief and you need to get under it and you need to meet that child on the very emotional level and you need to create a safe and open and welcoming space for all of those confusing and crazy and mm. irrational and illogical emotions mm. to just play themselves out. Yeah. And that's the only way that your child is going to process it and get through it and get to a place where they don't feel like they need or want the testosterone or the transition or the name change anymore. Because those emotions that are causing that desire and are causing that reliance on the social circle and the ideology are not going to be strong anymore. Yeah. And they're going to have a foundation, a.k.a. the relationship with the parent, a supportive, open, loving communication where the child knows that no matter how crazy or confusing their emotions are, they can bring them to the parent and the parent will receive it openly instead of criticizing, instead of trying to persuade, yeah. instead of trying to change anything. Well, you can see the wisdom of that and the difficulty of that and how parents, especially some of us conservative parents, can can blow this thing where, you know, you want to teach a child what's right and what's wrong, or you want to bring that into the picture. Well, if, if they're at a point where they're asking to take testosterone injections, they're, they're probably not at a point of caring what's right or what's wrong or are really believing that your faith or you have any credibility. So Helena is saying we, we have to get beyond the testosterone issue. And we have to deal at the relational level if we're going to have any ability to influence this child and to be something. And I, I just think one of the, uh, the worst examples I've heard is a, a young woman coming to her father and he takes her down, uh, drags her by the hair and gets her on her knees at the church and uh she has to confess her sin before she can get up. And he's, he's really abusive with her. And you know what? It was all about him and his beliefs, all about what he thought, and no connection or care 
about what she was going through or uh, had been through that brought her to this point for this struggle. And so Helena, now here's a person who went into the transition and then got out of transitioning, and she's saying, you, you, have, to, you have to build the relationship at this point. And I think that is extremely, extremely wise. And the other thing that the relationship building can do is you need to buy some time here because the longer that you have the relationship growing with that child, the longer that you're in that relationship, uh, then just the time that's needed for the brain to wake up to what's real and and what's imagined, what's uh, felt as a result of identity versus normal confusion that almost everybody goes through, you need that kind of time to happen. Let, let me read you what um, this this uh, Dr. Lisa Littman of Brown University uh, had to say in 2018. By the way, if you did have a comment, you could call me at uh, 888-52-TALKS, 888-528-2557. I'd love to hear your comment, see what you're thinking, what you're feeling. Uh, 888-528-2557. That is the number if you want to call and you have a comment. But listen to this. Uh, In 2018, Dr. Lisa Littman, she was uh, a Brown University. She published an article about, here's what she called it, rapid onset gender dysphoria. So all of a sudden, uh, the child's going along, having some difficulties, and boom, they are ready immediately uh, to change, to do something, because they hate their gender. She described the young people, often young women, suddenly embracing gender transition after friends did so, and they'd been barraged by uh, social media and, and uh, that was all about gender transition. The question that Dr. Littman raised was what impact did the peer pressure and the social media have on young people who were depressed or anxious or lonely? And were they being sold the idea that transitioning was going to make them happier? Um, and so if you could give them a new peer group uh, that would welcome them with open Arms, would it make a difference? Or is this the peer group that is the only peer group that's going to welcome them? And so she suggested that before the medical establishment rushes to help young people transition, that they stop, that they pause, that they consult uh, with parents. You determine uh, what can be done. Has any, anything been done to help the child accept the gender that they have. Any, any talk about one thing doesn't change everything. Any work on the relationship between the child and the parent. And just, Dr. Lippman, just suggesting that there be a pause, well, it, it unleashed a firestone, firestorm of criticism at her for even bringing it up. The fatal lie is that if we don't do this, these these kids are going to destroy themselves. They're going to hurt themselves or kill themselves. Well, there are a lot of things that we can do to prevent that from happening. We don't just have to let that happen. 
we're not just uh, we're not stupid. We're aware that we can have suicidal, self-destructive kids, and we can help them survive that. We've done it. There are things that can be done. But again, Helena suggests, I think, one of the hardest options of all, and that is this, when this is revealed, when this becomes part of the relationship with your child, they're looking for answers. They are hurting. They're concerned and confused. The relationship is what we need to be building, not the case for whether or not we're wrong or right. For a parent to be able to say, all right, I'm going through this with you. I'm going to deal with these questions with you, not going to abandon you. Right there takes some of the power out of the need to be different from the parent. We'll take a break. We'll come back with more right after this. Steve Artebernier, we're back. We're talking about this um, issue that you really can't ignore, the issue of transgender, gender identity. Huge, huge issue. And um, I've, I've relied on the wisdom of somebody that's been there, been through it, Helena Kirshner. And um, I've got a phone call to go to, but I'm, I'm going to play this uh, third clip by Helena. I think it's great for every a parent to hear this and um so we'll play this clip and then I'll I'll go to the phone call that's waiting for me there if you want to join 188852talks it's 8885282557 let's hear this third clip from Helena Kirshner the reason that a young girl can be so angry towards her parent over this trans stuff is because there are some kind of feelings and some kind of tensions between the child and parent that the child is acting out through this. And so when you have the parent focusing on how do I stop my child from doing this, in the child's perspective, that is just yet another example of the parent not listening, of the parent not caring, of the parent trying to control, trying to domineer. So what you need to do in this situation is look underneath the surface level conversation of, I want testosterone, don't take testosterone. You need to look beneath mm. that and you need to look at what that child is communicating in this very messed up and complex way. And that's going to involve a lot of humility on your part, mm. a lot of you know silencing yourself on your part, and a lot of just letting your child talk and listening as much as you possibly can to any kind of information that that child is sharing that is going to help you understand their mental state and understand what emotions they are coming from and what truly is motivating this because they're not really motivated by wanting testosterone. Their desire for testosterone is motivated by some kind of emotional complex underneath the surface. You need to try to understand that and communicate with that part of the child. Well, I tell you, just more wise advice from somebody that was there. And, you know, it it is in our nature's parents to say, no, you, you can't do this and focus on that. Rather, and I don't, and I don't believe in letting them do that, but, but the issue has to become our relationship, what they're struggling with, what they've been exposed to, what they're feeling. Uh, that's what she's saying. 
You know, uh, I've talked about people ignoring truth. They'd rather be part of their group than to accept truth, know the truth. But a Swedish study, they did a a follow-up study of sex-reassigned folks, and it was a 30-year longitudinal study. And that's probably the longest-term study. But they found out that um, 10 to 15 years after sex reassignment surgery is what they called it, the suicide rate rose 20 times the rate that's compar- that, that would be comparable with the peers that did not have uh, sex reassignment surgery. 20-fold increase in suicide. Now, that's just a, a, a secular research project that shows what I've been saying, that one thing doesn't change everything. And so before anybody does anything, we need for them to look at everything else, not just get caught up in the community of transgender and transition, and not to ignore facts like this and the fact that you will not hear publicized anywhere. There is a growing detransition community. Helena Kirshner is one of those folks, and she's trying to help other people not make the same mistake, not fall into the same thinking that she fell into. Well, I'll go to this caller and see uh, see what uh, is the question here. Hi, you're on with Steve Arterburn. Hello. How you doing? Hi. Hello. Hi there. Yep, you're on the yes. air. Hi there. Oh, okay. Did you, did you um, have a question hi, or a my comment? My Ellen. Ellen. Hi. Could you speak a little bit more loudly? Well, do you have a question or a comment, Ellen? Yeah, I do. Um, Actually, I I kind of a comment. Uh, We've been dealing with this for a long time. It's very concerning. Uh, Women's community having to, you know, we're dealing with a lot of young women that are, you know, just getting propagandized, for lack of a better word. Uh And I think... There's been this huge uptick of of girls and young women. Um, We've dealt with detransitioners, and I think we have to be clear about the difference between gender and sex. And gender roles are something that I've always objected to. You know, like boys get to play basketball and girls have to play with dolls. That's just complete nonsense. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to pay attention to the needs of girls. You know, just because you want to play basketball or you really don't want to wear makeup or wear high heels, you know, it's just, it's... There has to be more awareness, and also the medical-industrial complex, as I call it, is really pushing. You know, big pharmaceutical is making a lot of money off of yeah, this. that's right. And so are therapists, too. And, you know, when I'm dealing with young women or, or girls who are struggling with a variety of things, I sometimes check, you know, into the therapist, you know, what agendas are they promoting? So I think the sad part is, you know, I'm from the feminist community, and I don't like evangelical Christianity. I call it (laughs) right-wing. It's male-dominated, and I've never liked it, and I don't believe the Bible is the literal word of of God. I just don't. And so I tell young people, if you want to stay in church, you know, there's lots of churches out there. Nobody has the true 
word of God. This is human beings trying to figure it out. Okay, but let, so let me get back to the let, let me get back to the issue here because you're kind of the perfect well, the person. Is, well, wait, hold I on think, a second. Hold on a second. You're kind of the perfect person uh, that I like to talk to. You're not all into uh, some kind of fundamentalist uh, religion, and and you're just like everybody else that's towing the line in the Christian community. You're saying I don't even like those people, but you're you're saying there is a problem here, and and it is something we need to deal with. And certainly, we do need to let w- young girls be. Uh, who they want to be and not put them in some kind of uh, of a box and but also you're you're saying that the medical community is making a lot of money off of this. I appreciate your comments there. I wish we had more time, but you know all of us a lot of us fundamentalist Christians we believe the same way, but people don't care what we believe because some of our folks have offended them so greatly. but let me tell you this December twelfth of last year. United Kingdom's high court ruled that puberty puberty blockers and cross-sex hormone use in gender dysphoric minors was um, experimental and shouldn't, in most cases, be given to any child under 16. Now, now that's them. They had no problem uh, with the information that minors were given about transitioning, but they did say that there is no age-appropriate way to explain to many of these children, the full ramifications of this. And so if they could do that, if they could make a decision like that, why can't we support that over here? Well, we've got a parenting seminar coming up October 2nd. We'll be dealing with more than just this issue, but we'll be dealing with this issue. And if you're a parent, I I know this is tough. And there are no easy answers. But one element that's in every answer that's the right answer is loving your kids, not rejecting them at a time when they need you the most, not making it about you, but making it about what are they going through, what do they need, and and what in the world could we do to maybe um, rebuild a relationship that's gone the wrong way. Now, kids aren't robots. And I'm telling you, I used to think you could always judge a parent by how their kids turned out. But with with the social community that is out there, with social media and all of the influences in all areas of media, what they report, what they don't report, what they show and they don't show, I'm telling you, it is, it's, it's a miracle that any child gets through it without being greatly greatly confused about a lot of different things. Now, I know this. 1 Timothy 4.1 tells us that in the last days, a lot of people are going to turn away from truth. They don't care what truth is. 1 John 4th chapter says, don't believe every person that says they're speaking in the Spirit or talking for the Lord. You need to test those folks. What is their agenda? What is their motive? Are they loving well? And we need to, Ephesians 5 tells us to expose folks that are much more interested in the climate of the day, the thoughts, 
how to be accepted rather than what is the truth. At New Life, we've been committed to what we call the true truth. How did God mean for this to be interpreted and played out in people's lives? And there's nothing in that truth that says anything but love and compassion for those that struggle. If you need some help, you can call us at 1-800-NEW-LIFE. If you want to find out about what New Life does, you can go to kkla.com forward slash new life. Steve Arterburn here, really, really fortunate to have had this hour to deal with a very, very tough topic. And I hope and pray something that's been said has been helpful to you. And I'll see you down the road.